720 WGN. Oh, I was so happy when I found out Mike Leonard was coming in here today. Mike, how you doing, my friend? Good, John. How are you? Good. You're a federal defense attorney. Yes. And done some other great things as well and busy things. So you are someone, you're a great guest to have today. That's where I'll, that's John, what I'll that's say. John, that's a great start. I love that start. A great introduction. But more importantly, I think the viewers want to know, what are you doing this weekend? What am I doing this yeah. weekend? What are you doing for fun? Oh, man. Clean the house this morning a little bit. Wow, that doesn't sound like fun. I'm going to go. Uh, a buddy from out of town is is coming in, and uh, we're all meeting him uh, at the uh, casino. Oh, wow. Good. Yeah, that'll be a little Are fun. Are you a low roller or a high roller? Low. About as low as it gets. <laughs> Me too. Low Me and too. slow, like a good uh, pork uh, butt. That's yeah. what you got to do. I hate giving my money away. I like playing a little bit of blackjack, but mm. it always goes so fast, and I'm always cashed out uh, almost immediately. I, I do roulette. I spread 10 little chips around, and then you can kind of make some, lose some, and then it's just, you know, I can't host a financial show on this program and then go spend a bunch of money be and a say idea. I know what I'm doing, right? Maybe you can teach me roulette sometime, though. Maybe. Oh, it's really I, easy. I, I still don't understand. It looks like a lot of fun on TV and in the commercials, but I don't think it really is. <laughs> it's not. You just Most of it's waiting for the person to stack the chips. Anyways, um, that's what I'm doing this weekend. <laughs> okay, thanks well, thanks for diving think, into that. I think your viewers want to know, John. Yeah, you know? no, they, they, they're, always, they're always curious. That's the most common text we get. No. Okay, so this was obviously a historic week. Not very often you have the FBI uh, uh, executing a search warrant uh, on the former president's estate. And I don't want to dive too deep into the realm of what we don't know, right? Because that's a dangerous game to play, isn't it? Sure. Uh, but, you know, this whole situation has kind of a long history to it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you want to talk about that first. Well, what what specifically are you talking about? Well, so first, you got to go back in time uh, many months where it was originally uh, determined by the National Archives when they received a bunch of boxes from the president, 15 boxes, that in those boxes there were a bunch of top secret and highly classified materials, mm-hmm. which which was sort of set off alarm bells. Okay. So then fl- fast forward to June of this year, um, you actually had uh, two things happen which are of note. Um, one was a subpoena was issued to the president to produce you know, documents that he had, that he still had, that mm-hmm. were top secret or of certain classifications. And also the second thing was, you know, members of the Justice Department, law enforcement went to Mar-a-Lago and saw that there were, you know, boxes of additional materials, had discussions about what might be in them, how are they locked or not locked, how are they maintained, who has access to them. And so the subpoena didn't yield compliance. You know, the reality is if if I had a client, John Smith, mm-hmm. and someone gave him a subpoena for top secret documents that they thought he had at his house because he used to work at the White House and he didn't comply, there'd be no question that they would go in, you know, immediately to a judge and try to get a search warrant and try to get them back. So if it was any other person, you'd say this is not, nothing unusual about what we've seen so far. Oh, correct. So you're, you're, the real, the difference is, is the person. So yeah. But President Trump, who's a former president, but think about this. If there were any of the hundreds of people who worked in the White House, if they had these materials, top secret, highly classified documents, sensitive, allegedly relating to national defense in some instances, nobody would have any issue or problem with Joe Smith or Tom Brown or right. Jane Doe um, Having the saying, FBI hey, coming, you yeah. can't have these things. Right. you, you got to give them back. So the difference really is the, the recipient of the subpoena. Which does make a difference. I know equal uh, application of the law to everyone, but the President of the United States does have the authority to declassify as he wishes. I know that his camp is contending that last night I heard that anytime he brought documents to the residents, that was, in fact, an act of saying these are declassified. 
I guess what I'm saying is it's a lot of nuance, not only because he was the former president, but because there is this potential declassification right, the, the ultimate right that he has. Sure. Which is, I, I, I like it. It's a clever defense. But to say that just because I take documents or highly classified or top secret and I take them out and I'm not supposed to have them, but I, but I do that, that so, somehow transforms them into unclassified materials or declassified. That's a very tough sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but ultimately, you know, what had to happen here is in addition to the visit to the house, then the issuance of, of a subpoena, then the alleged non-compliance with the subpoena. Then they had to go to a judge. So mm-hmm. they had to go to a judge in federal court in Florida. It was a magistrate judge. Uh, and make a showing based upon probable cause, a lower standard. You're not proving any crime has actually been committed. But you're making the argument in the affidavit in support of the search warrant that there's probable cause to believe there might be a commission of a crime. And it's and based upon the unsealing of that search warrant, it appears, appears they were trying to argue to the court that, hey, we have probable cause to believe there might be a violation of what's called the Espionage Act. There might be obstruction of justice, or there might be another violation of federal law for destroying uh, documents that are highly classified. Okay, so this is where two camps fall in, because everything's political these days. A lot of people feel like this is just step one of a bigger issue, that the documents were being sold, the documents were being destroyed, mutilated. There was some, this is relating to another investigation, and there was possible destruction. And some people on the other side say, if this is all it was, why isn't there an intermediate step between the subpoena and the FBI search? Something where they say, look, we know you have these documents in this other room. You may not know this personally, Mr. President, but here's here's where we believe they are. Come on, let, let's get them back. Well, I think that happened. I mean, based upon all that's been publicly reported, we'll, we'll never know the, the mm-hmm. whole truth here. But obviously, you don't just issue subpoena, which is just a piece of paper saying, hey, give us these various category documents. You don't do that. And then just rush in and search someone's home. So okay. you, you assume that between June and on Monday, so in those two months, there was a little bit more like, come on, really, we need these things. Oh, yeah. So just as, as you know, John, what happens is you issue a subpoena. Typically, anybody who receives a federal subpoena usually gets counsel. And then you have to make a written response to it, either produce the documents or make objections to the production or say that you don't have them. So it's not as if a subpoena was issued and then they just ran into his house. Right. And the important intermediary step was that then you had to make you know, a relatively significant showing to a federal court judge that, hey, here are the sets. Here's the set of facts and circumstances attested to in an affidavit of all the things we've done and everything we know. And therefore, here's why we have these concerns. There might be a commission of a crime. Now, let's go to the next step. You you said, you know, that, hey, everyone's worried that's part of a bigger plot or bigger picture. And I get it. I, I just think it'll be, I will be shocked if with regard to these documents and the, and the production of them or non-production or belated production, I will be incredibly shocked if any charges arise out of this conduct. I don't think it's going to happen. Because he's the former president or because cases like this, even with John Smith, are resolved in a more calm way? Well, because, number one, he is the former president. So, And and apparently, they've gotten the documents back. You know, the, the Justice Department would argue, finally. So that could be the end of it. Yeah, of course. Because, remember, when you go before a judge to get a search warrant, it's, you're not charging anybody with a crime. Right. You know, so that happens all the time. We represent clients all the time. For instance, I just last week, for instance, I got a call on a new case where federal agents came out from the FBI with a search warrant for someone's house and they searched the person's house 
And again, to be able to do that, they had to go before a judge and make a showing that there's probable cause to believe there was a commission of a crime. The client's not charged with anything at all. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the troublesome thing to people. People think, hey, if I'm not charged with an offense, how can you go search my property? That's that's a fundamental argument that people have. But that's the whole point. If law enforcement can make a sufficient showing to a federal judge or a state court judge that they, there's reason to believe a crime's been committed and there may be fruits of the crime or evidence of the crime, then that may be enough to get the search warrant in the first instance, to go in and conduct a search. And of course, as you know, uh, then the person may or may not be charged with a crime. They may uncover a whole bunch of stuff. They may uncover nothing. But even if they uncover something, it may be months or years till a crime is even charged or not charged. So the execution of the search warrant could be the end of this. It could be, of course. I would argue, because this is such a highly politicized issue and it's the former president, I think that they're going to be satisfied with the return of the documents, and I would be shocked if there's any federal charges that arise out of this, because there would be many, many disputes. You know, the mere fact that a subpoena was issued, there'd be argument about the wording of the subpoena, whether there was compliance or substantial compliance with the subpoena, whether the non-compliance with the subpoena was intentional or not. Right. You know, you raised a good issue offline. I think you said that you had recently heard that. Yeah, let at least me, the Trump. Go ahead and yeah, tee so that one up. The news that we hear today is that in June, uh, at least one lawyer of President Trump had signed off that all the un, uh, all the classified documents were no longer at Mar-a-Lago, were no longer in possession. Uh, and according to what we see from the receipts, that's not necessarily the case of what was pulled out of the, the search warrant. So I wonder, and, and this begs an even larger issue, President Trump has many people employed for him, lawyers. He didn't move all these boxes himself. He has handlers that do all this stuff. Is it possible he simply did not know where these things were? And I think that speaks to your idea of knowingly lying to uh, the Justice Department. Or could a lawyer have just said, yeah, yeah, they're all gone, and not consulted with former President Trump on that, and that's the lawyer's mistake, not the former president's. Oh, yeah, there's all sorts of defenses here, John. That's what I'm saying. Number one, there's a lot of nuance here. You know, when you issue some a subpoena, there's arguments over the wording in the subpoena. You know, you're going to... You, the subpoena may be very broadly focused. It may be very narrowly focused. You may have an argument you complied in good faith. You may have an argument that you provided the information to your counsel who you thought complied in good faith. Um, typically, you know, I, I doubt the president, the former president, signed anything. I'm sure there was a representation right. made by counsel. Hey, here's our response to the subpoena. Good. It wasn't President Trump likely signing anything, attesting to anything under oath. Which is right. Yeah, of course. And I'm, I judge, I'm saying that's why there's a wide chasm to have a lot of defenses to the argument that that he m- misappropriated them intentionally or knew that he had them intentionally. So we can argue about that all day. We'll never know the truth. But you're, you're making a great point. There's lots of room for defense to this. Is there... Okay, so remember when Hillary Clinton was being investigated by the Department of Justice, and then a couple weeks before the election, maybe July before the election, Jim Comey came out and said, in an unusual say, normally we don't do this, the investigation's closed, she acted inappropriately, but there wasn't a criminal thing. Do you expect that if this is the end, and they look through all these documents, and they determine, hey, we got our documents back, that's what we wanted, we're done— would it be appropriate for the attorney general to say something similar or someone in the authority to say something similar to end speculation about what could or could not be coming next? Sure. Yeah, he could absolutely choose to do that. This is a highly politicized issue. 
It's very divisive in terms of the country. It's going to be hard to prove if they wanted to bring federal charges. I, I just don't think they will bring any federal charges. I mean, the whole point, I think, here was getting the documents back. But then isn't that a lot of hay to to make in the news, to make in everything for some boxes of documents? Well, well, John, you're talking about stuff that's top secret. So I mean, I'm, I'm coming up yeah. with defenses that yeah, other people yeah. would come up. I'm trying to, f- oh, yeah, to see but this I mean, down the middle. But, but I guess, you know, from the defense standpoint, I think it's a highly defensible situation if I was representing former President Trump. But on the other side of the coin, of course, if you're federal law enforcement and you know then obviously in the they had they had present an affidavit to the judge mm-hmm. not just not just you know make generalizations so they had to present an, a detailed affidavit to say here's why and here's the base upon which we believe there's still materials there and probably some idea of what those materials were okay but you you certainly wouldn't want somebody to have top secret documents that number one can be the subject of espionage by another country to try to get them right, right? And, and or used or used by a former political figure for you know i'm not saying he's going to or would but used for inappropriate means you know I, so i wouldn't want top secret documents in anyone's home or residence in general right yeah. that's susceptible regardless of who the former president is i just a lot of people i think may be disappointed if that's the end of it Maybe then that's because they are vindictive if they don't like the former president, et cetera, et cetera. We'll, we have to take a break. Okay. Right. I got a lot more sure. questions. We got other things to get to, too. All good. All good. Mike Leonard. All right. Let's take a break for the news here on WGN. 720 WGN. Let's get legal. Powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. We're trying to find nuance and clarity in a very complex and political discussion. I mean, called names on the text line. Mike, not you, though. They love you. <laughs> Good, John. A lot of, let the guests do the speaking. <laughs> I'm just trying to find the arguments on both sides of this thing, because it is complex. And we had someone text in saying, here's my problem. If it were you or me, everyday folks that had um, possession of these documents, these top secret documents, it'd be treason or a violation of the Espionage Act, I guess. But it is nuanced here. Yeah, well, that bothers me, too. I mean, as a defense lawyer, especially in the federal system, I don't believe that justice is blind. You know, I think there's a lot of prejudicial factors, intentional, unintentional, that go into decisions to charge someone with a crime, who to charge, who to select for prosecution. So I agree with whatever viewer said that, that if it's Joe Schmo, Mm -hmm. who was a clerk at the White House, worked in the Oval Office, and whatever job he held, whether it was bringing tea to the president or in the most important meetings, if that person had top secret documents in their home and people had reason to believe he did and they didn't comply with the subpoena, nobody would have any feelings for the person. I go, it's so unfair. You're being targeted to return those classified materials. So I I think it's, it's it's a tough argument to make just because he's a former president uh, I think you still have that same obligation, and you would be treated quite differently if you're an average citizen. If you're an average citizen, I'd say there's a hundred percent chance you will get charged with a federal crime. For I having think, done, for, for having, having done, done exactly what happened here. But I'll tell you, John, I'll come back on the show one year from from now or two years from now, and I'm going to bet you that large pizza that you love that Trump will not be charged federally for this incident that's my bet because Because he's the former president because he's the former president and so that i have a problem with that but i think that's what will happen so 
everyone being up in arms that he's going to get charged or it's part of a larger investigation against him. I don't buy it. I think that it was a standoff between the attorney general and the former president, basically from the Department of Justice's standpoint saying, hey, this guy's thumbing his nose at us. We know he has the stuff. He won't give it to us. We're going to go get it. We're going to get a judge to tell us we can go get it. I think that's what happened. So I know people think who, especially people who like Trump, who voted for Trump, they think he's this is part of a larger investigation. He's going to get charged. I don't think that he will. I don't think it's going to happen. But I do agree if it was an average citizen, 100% they'd get charged. Uh, 224 just chimed in. I thought I'd heard somewhere that all presidents have brought home material that should have been left at the White House, even some that have brought home classified paperwork. The records department that does all this, the archivists, in specific, and I'm just speaking about President Obama because that was brought up uh, by some folks that he had brought home $33 million of, uh, or 33 million documents. The department that does this says they were first checked by the archivist. Everything was checked before it was released to President Obama. That's a different distinction than what allegedly happened here. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't personally don't know enough about that nuance. Yeah. I, I know from what's been publicly reported that presidents do and are allowed to bring certain things home. I doubt they're allowed to bring top secret materials, especially those that relate to national defense and things of that nature. And I'm sure there's a process, a vetting process, which happened here. You know, as we know, months and months ago, the National Archives went through 15 boxes that they retrieved back from the president. And in those, that's where the issue first got raised. Hey, you have all these things you can have, but there's all these other materials that are top secret, which you can't have. And I think that's what caused this whole thing to start in the first place. So many people say, though, if the FBI shows up at your house, you're in a lot of trouble. John, unless you call me. <laughs> um, What's well, that number, by the way, I, since you said it? <laughs> 312-380-6559. Give me a call. Go. No, I'm joking. But look, if the FBI shows up, FBI shows up at your house, either with especially with the search warrant, things are not looking good for you. There's no question about that. And even if they show up at your house just to question you, uh, you would never really want to answer those questions if you ask me. But yeah, things aren't looking good for the average citizen. If someone shows up from law enforcement, federal or state, with a search warrant for your home, you know things aren't looking good at that point. It doesn't mean... First of all, it doesn't mean you've been charged with a crime and doesn't mean you're going to be charged with a crime, but certainly uh, statistically, the odds are against you in terms of the, what's going to happen in the future, whether you're going to be charged, because they had to go before a judge and make some sort of showing that there's probable cause to believe a crime had been committed and there's some reason to search because there's something relating to that crime is in that location. Look, we know certainly and I know very well because I have to file these motions all the time. There's lots of motions where are called what motions to suppress evidence based upon wrongful, illegal, unconstitutional searches. It happens, unfortunately, all the time. Mm -hmm. And we're in court over those motions a lot. And so sometimes someone gets charged. And one of the issues at the beginning of the case is a motion to suppress, arguing that the search was improper. And like you and I talked about a couple of months ago, in the rare instance in federal court, uh, that may be granted. And we had the case we talked about a couple months ago where mm -hmm. our client was released and all charges were dropped because the court determined after a full evidentiary hearing that the search was entirely improper of someone's home and unconstitutional. So these issues aren't unique to Trump. They, they happen all the time in the federal system and definitely in the state system, too. Okay, so you're one of the few people out there that at least I've been watching that say, this is likely the end of the, or could be the end of the road, right? The FBI went in, they got the documents that the Department of Justice wanted. Okay, we're all moving on with our lives. We're not going to charge, it's too politically involved. 
I think that is the one thing that could actually unite people in anger against the Department of Justice. People on the right would say, what an overreach of the of the government to get some boxes that were sitting around in storage that didn't mean anything to, to, to the president or whatever the case. They mean a lot, of course, in terms of state secrets. That's an argument that someone might make. Well, the, 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 and, yeah. excuse me, let me finish. Yeah. And people on the left are going to be so upset that that's that that they would create this much hubbub and and present as if there's this is part of a larger thing, and then that's that's it. Yeah, but you you also have to look at it from the standpoint. So there's a huge difference between a search warrant, which is a probable cause standard, right? A low threshold, just to a judge. Hey, we have probable cause to believe a crime has been committed. Okay, versus proof beyond a reasonable doubt that the person is actually guilty of that crime and so you know especially if you're going to go under this espionage act you'd have to make some showing that there was purportedly an intent to use these documents against the purposes of the united states which would be very tough to prove tough yeah very tough to prove so you know you might have an argument that there is obstruction of justice but again john we get into that all that nuance you talked about earlier where there was attorneys involved, there were negotiations. So there's a lot of room for a robust defense that, you know, there was an attempt to comply and there would have been compliance or they're in a process of complying. So there's a huge difference between proof beyond a reasonable doubt and just a probable cause to go in and conduct a search. Yeah, you leave me thinking. Mike. I guess that's the good part about our discussions here. I think I'm we're more... both thinking. We're both thinking. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different possibilities out there. I just. I just can't, and this is more of a political calculation, which I know the Department of Justice is not supposed to do, but we're all humans, including Merrick Garland. I, I just, it feels a lot, it feels like a lot for what was, uh, what, what some people would argue was clerical or bookkeeping. I don't think that. I think that top secret documents are not okay to have in your home, um, unless you had gone through the formal process of, of allow, being allowed to have them, which I don't think, I don't, at least my evidence has show that, but it seems like a lot for at the end of the day a little perhaps well yeah but here's the problem we're, we're never going to know what those documents were okay mm-hmm, right we're going to get a general description of the categories they were seeking and some specifics we've already gotten some disclosure about what some of them were we're never going to know so does it even matter i mean do, i mean it, no but it, i mean just in terms of what the public's perception right. would be and what people would think john if i if i told you hey you know the the documents were the codes to how to uh you know, send nuclear missiles, people would be quite upset with that versus whether there's intelligence on some foreign government that's people would consider immaterial, you know, who knows? So there's a lot of room uh, to debate here because there's so much based upon speculation. We're, we're never going to know as the public what the documents were unless there's a trial and we probably still wouldn't know because it would be conducted in a certain way as to not disclose those state secrets. So I get it. I get both sides. I get the argument that, hey, if you conducted a search warrant, why don't you charge him with a crime? But let's not forget there's a completely different standard. And you said, you know, that this would be a political decision made not to prosecute. But the decision to prosecute or not to prosecute is made all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. we have clients that we defend in federal court. And a lot of times you make the strong argument. Wow. Why why did this he or she get charged? You know, here's the whole case. And X, Y, Z, these other people did horribly more or mm-hmm. were the more the ringleaders or masterminds of whatever the crime or fraud was and they're not even charged at all and they may just be cooperators against your own clients so these prosecutorial decisions are made on a daily basis throughout the country and when it's your client or yourself or your family member you often think it's very unfair that you're 
person got charged or you got charged because someone's exercising discretion. Again, no case is brought without the use of discretion, even to bring a case to a grand jury to let a grand jury decide if charges are going to be brought, right? So there, there's a lot that goes into this that is very discretionary. Okay. 312-981-7200 if you have any questions. We'll get into some other stuff as well, uh, if you, unless you have any more questions about this, because I've, I've got about a billion, but I want to move on to other things. After this on Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association, Leonard Trial Lawyers, leonardatriallawyers.com. Okay, let's talk about the uh, a court ordering the University of Chicago and University of Chicago Police Department to go to trial. I think this is a case that a lot of people remember from a couple of years ago. Yeah, if you remember, John, the facts are this. So there was a young man who's the plaintiff in this case, bringing the lawsuit, who was a senior at University of Chicago, had had a nice academic career, had no prior involvement in law enforcement, no criminal history, and he had a mental health crisis during his senior year and just sort of deteriorated. And then one night, you know, really kind of went off the rails, so to speak, because of his mental health issues and went outside and was walking around and uh, creating... Uh, you know, yelling and things of that nature. And so the University of Chicago police responded and then they shot him. And so, you know, we brought the lawsuit on his behalf, um, arguing that they used excessive force. Uh, and what we're talking about is not, there's no secrecy here. Right. This is part of a judge's opinion that was just released uh, in July, ordering those defendants to go to trial. So the lawsuit was brought against the University of Chicago itself, its police department, and then the individual officer who shot the plaintiff. Luckily, he did survive, right. and now he's out in California doing well in his in his uh, career endeavors. But obviously, this was a traumatic couple of years. Not only the injury of getting shot, but then a couple of years of rehab and going through all the court proceedings because they charged him with a crime, uh, and all those charges were essentially eventually dismissed against him. So, what happened recently was the judge issued opinion in the context we've talked about sometimes in these civil cases called summary judgment. Mm-hmm. And real brief, not to get too technical, even though this is a this is very a, legal show, right, John. Right, for sure. But when we you're, get into the weeds here, maybe. Exactly. When you're representing a plaintiff in a case against a company or against the police or whoever, you want to be able to get your case to a jury. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people think, hey, if I file a lawsuit, I get a jury trial, you know, I get to go. You don't, because what happens is you take all these depositions first, and then what happens is the defendant usually files this motion before there can be a trial and tries to knock your case out of the box and argue that it should be dismissed, that what's called summary judgment should be granted against your client. So that's what happened here. University of Chicago and the police department tried to get out of the case. The judge wrote a lengthy opinion and said, no, this case needs to go to a jury. The jury has to decide whether the officers and the University of Chicago Police Department acted improperly used excessive force under the circumstances and you know the judge pointed out in the opinion that when the officer who shot him saw him in the alley from quite a distance he made the statement to the effect that we've got a mental so clearly mm. they knew, knew something was up yeah, they knew he was suffering from mental health crisis but unfortunately you know proceeded to go through a series of steps which resulted in this gentleman getting shot so um, from our standpoint, of course, it's always a good day when the court rules in our favor and says you get to go to trial. So that case will be tried, you know, sometime next year. So we're looking forward to that. You got a case coming up in St. Louis, yeah? Yes, uh, we got. And I think we mentioned this we did. We talked about many it. months ago. Yeah. And it, to remind you and the viewers, it, it arises out of what was the top ranked reality TV show 
on Oprah's network years ago. It was on TV for about five or six years. And uh, it was called Welcome to Sweetie Pies, which is a St. Louis-based restaurant, several of them, which serves some fantastic food, John. That's a whole other subject. Okay, yeah, we'll have to get to that. Yeah, we will. But what happened in this case is the the feds have charged a number of individuals, including my client, who was one of the key members of that television show, in what they claim to be a murder-for-hire plot. So that case is going to trial on September 6th in federal court in St. Louis. And I know you and I were talking about kind of some of the things that go into yeah. trying a case in a different jurisdiction. I know you wanted to touch upon that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, what what is different than here in, in Illinois down in St. Louis? Well, it's, it's not so much that it's St. Louis, but anytime you're in a different federal court or a different state court and you're in Missouri or New York or California, you know, everything can be quite different. So uh, number one, you know, you, you don't have that familiarity with your judge and that sort of credibility with the judge because you haven't been in front of them very much you don't quite know how they act and how they rule so you try to get as much intelligence as you can is this your first time in this courtroom in in this yeah in this in this jurisdiction i've had cases in in federal court missouri but in front of this uh judge and in in this particular federal court yeah this is this will be the first one um but i've had you know federal court trials you know in federal court cases all over the country but every case is different and so you got the issue of who your judge is and kind of how they rule how they run their courtroom then you have the issue, which is a huge issue in any case, is the juror pool. 100%. Right? And we've talked about that here in Chicago, how people think if you have a case in federal court in downtown Chicago, that you're going to have a, a certain racial or gender uh, makeup, mm-hmm. which doesn't match up to what you think because the juror pool goes way out to all the way to Wisconsin, right. all the way out to Rockford. So the pool you get tends to be very different of what your perception of that might be racially and age and you know occupation wise same thing in missouri so you're even though you have a case that's downtown st louis your jury pool goes way out you know Mm -hmm. to an hour or more outside st louis to some very rural counties and so just like any other case you got to kind of research your jury pool you have all these different counties all these people that you're unfamiliar with so you're going to be doing jury selection is one of the first tasks at hand right and so you have to kind of bone up on what are these different counties like you know what what would it mean potentially to have a juror from a certain county Mm -hmm. what does that mean what's it like to live there uh what views may they have and you're trying to you know use your gut but also try to use some sense of intelligence of as much information you can gather and then there's there's things that vary even though it's a federal court case even the timing upon which the federal government gives you information, the timing that they give you witness statements and grand jury testimony varies greatly from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. So in this case, 10 days before, we'll be getting reams of additional information. If this case were in Chicago, we typically get it 30 days before or more. So you know, all sorts of factors go into trying a case in a different jurisdiction. Right. With the judge... Do you read like other opinions that he or she has writ, uh, written before? Do you do some research on the judge you know you've gotten? Well, the best intelligence usually, I mean, in, in, in criminal cases, federal criminal cases, you know, they wouldn't really have done a lot of written opinions except on pretrial motions, okay? So, but your, your best source of information on a judge are other lawyers yeah. in that jurisdiction who have been in front of he or she. And so talking to them um, and getting a sense, you know, people would say, hey, you could go sit in his courtroom, but it's not very feasible these days because of COVID. You know, typically federal court judges aren't sitting there in court 
any day or all day unless they have a trial or a particular hearing. So you have very little opportunity to go sit in their courtroom right. and watch their demeanor. Firsthand. Uh, in the old days, you know, you could do that to some extent, but even watching them, you know, that would be helpful. But, you know, what would be much more helpful is to see how they run a trial, how they act during a trial, you know, what their style is during a trial. And you don't really get the benefit of actually seeing that. But your most useful information is from other attorneys in that jurisdiction, for instance, in St. Louis, who've been in front of that judge or know that building well. Yeah. Well, there's so much that goes into this. We haven't even talked about the local food issue, John. (laughs) You know, you got to you got to figure out a your toasted local food ravioli too. down in St. Louis. You got to figure out where you're going to eat, Sean, which is huge. Yeah. Okay. Hey, we actually are getting a couple more questions about uh, our first topic about President Trump and and that. You, Let's you okay go back to, to a couple more. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this is from John down in Central Illinois. Spelled the same way I spell my name. So thank you, John. Uh, comment. Getting back to the documents. Getting back the documents is the easy part. Determining if someone took a picture of the documents with a smartphone, did anything with those. That seems to be more difficult to prove. Agree, I assume? Totally. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many issues that arise, and there's so many concerns. You know, there's there's my standpoint, which is the defense lawyer's standpoint. Then there's law enforcement and national security who are looking at these issues. So I know some of the issues they're real concerned about and which caused them to, to go to the property physically in, like, June and maybe even before that. They wanted to see where are these boxes stored? You know, under what system are they stored, even though they didn't have them back yet and they hadn't even subpoenaed them yet? You know, where are these things? Who has access to them? Are they under lock and key? Because, of course, there's so many different concerns. You don't want other governments getting them. You don't want an employee right. getting them and selling them or using well, them. Well, let's not know? forget Mar-a-Lago had an, uh, someone that was charged years ago. Yeah. As someone that was a spy, essentially, on the inside. Exactly, yeah. I mean, your your listener makes so many great points because, of course, you know, we'll never know what, what transpired before the documents are actually seized by the government. And, of course, there's, there's, there's an ongoing concern. But unless someone surfaces to tell the media, hey, I got this, or they try to sell them, we'll, we'll probably never know the answer to that question. But this is a very good point by your listener. I saw a report, um, and I know we're hearing a lot of different news reports, and some of them are verified or not, that... Uh, some of the documents were being fingerprint tested. That would indicate that they're trying to see who touched what, right? Sure. I mean, I I think that would be, again, a legitimate concern. If you have something that's top secret and you have any reason to believe that they've been reproduced or given to others, uh, a normal process would be, okay, let's, let's take fingerprints and let's see if they match up to anyone in the system. The, The good thing from the government standpoint is that if there are people who worked in the white house or worked for the president, they're already have been printed, right? right. Their, their systems, their prints will be in a system. But if you're an average employee, you know, you may have never been fingerprinted, so you might not show up in the, data, in the databases. We're getting a couple more questions. Can you stick through the news for a few more minutes? John, as long as you want. Okay. <laughs> All Two, right. three, four o'clock. Forget Dave Plyer's show. We're going through oh, it. Oh, we're going to go for hours. More with Mike Leonard after the news here on WGN. Today's show is sponsored by Leonard Trial Lawyers, Allen and Glassman Chartered, and Anderson Attorneys and Advisors. Now, here's John Hanson, and let's get legal. All right, hour two. Mike Leonard's still here. And Clint Krisloff is coming up next. Apparently, I said Clink. Uh, yeah, That's not a name. I think you were thinking of Colonel Clink from Hogan's Heroes. That's <laughs> the only proper usage of that word, John. Yeah, is there no. any other usage of Clink? No. I don't well, think there is. Well, right. Well, if your clients do something that bad, they can go into the Clink. Oh, oh so yeah, yeah. And we never do that. Never. My clients never go into the Exactly. Clink. Clint Krisloff. I am actually... 
fascinated to learn about how class action lawsuits happen. I've never been a part of one, or at least I thought I hadn't until I got the Facebook check, and then I was like, wait, there I go. I was part of one. How much did they pay you? 400 bucks. That's nice. That's oh, are nice. you kidding me? Of times, course. Times millions. Yeah, right? exactly. Okay. A couple more questions, Mike, as we continue our conversation about what happened at Mar-a-Lago. Um, someone wants to know, if the Department of Justice, and, and I think that we're, at least you seem to be under the interpretation that if there were classified documents there, there's a good chance that some law may have been broken by President Trump, but he may not be charged because he's the former president. Am I, is that okay as a baseline that I'm going as, at? As a baseline, plus factor two is, you know, it, it's still... You still have to make proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So, okay, you know, and there's there's lots and lots of arguments in terms of you know why he didn't violate the law, especially under the Espionage Act, where you know you'd have to make a showing that he had the documents for the purposes of essentially using them against the United States, not you know, just gathering mere, dust mere in a room. Possession wouldn't be enough. I guess what I'm saying is the Department of Justice might feel like he at least broke some law, or at least has a feeling that, that he did. I'm only asking this because it has to get to the, the question that yeah, they're asking. Yeah, I agree. 815 wants to know, then if they uh, believe that he broke a law, is are they setting a bad legal precedent if they don't charge him? Couldn't, quote, a normal person who you said would be charged for the similar crime, couldn't they say, hey, the president wasn't charged in this? Or could a future president use that defense? Well, they're setting a bad public precedent by doing that, but there's there's no legally binding precedent. You know, for instance, one person one day can you know do the same alleged crime as somebody else and be charged or not charged it happens all the time is what you're saying it happens all the time and so you know you you only have an argument as to what's called selective prosecution if you can make a showing which is really difficult to do that or there was a discriminatory motive on behalf of the prosecution so it's a real high standard to show that you're selectively prosecuting somebody i agree with the listener those that's a really good question and a really good point because clearly there'd be a strong public argument that you're you're selectively choosing to prosecute someone and not somebody else for the same conduct. And what you're creating is a public argument to be made or a political argument that, you know, offender number two shouldn't be charged. But the reality is there's no binding precedent upon any other prosecutor's office that they can or cannot charge the person. For sure. Here's an interesting text. 773. President Trump has a large team of attorneys. Could you explain why they've stated publicly that they've complied with every request for records by the FBI or the DOJ, and yet they raided his home? I guess it would be the FBI, the DOJ would say they're lying. Well, you mean that there's an audience for those statements by those attorneys. So what do you mean by that? Well, they're they're attempting, of course, to tell their sto- side of the oh, story. Oh, on the news, and yeah, such yeah. Like that. I mean, th- so those attorneys are basically saying, "Hey, look, we engage in good faith negotiations. We, in good faith, attempted to comply with subpoena. We don't know if that's true or not, mm-hmm. but clearly there were communications between the lawyers and the law enforcement members and the DOJ. So they're they're making that public argument that hey, we did everything we could to comply." The reality is if they still had all those top secret documents, it doesn't look like they did comply. So that seems like an argument that may be extremely rebutted by the facts, but they're doing their job, which is to attempt to attempt to create a narrative in favor of the president and try to show that he acted reasonably and try to show that law enforcement acted irrationally and unreasonably and unfairly and selectively. So they're they're really just trying to create a narrative is what they're doing. And we talked about this in the last hour, but I think it's worth saying again. And we, we don't know. We may never know exactly about this. But the idea is is that, and from the reporting we're hearing today, is that at least one of uh, President, former President Trump's lawyers signed a document saying that all the classified information was gone in June out of Mar-a-Lago. 
and apparently that isn't the case, um, that you contend that there's likely there were conversations between June and the raid, if, if you want to call it a raid or an execution of war, and I don't really care about the definition, that there was likely, there were attempts further between those two things. Yeah, what, what's been reported is that there were, that there was a, there was a pre-communications before the subpoena, right? There was the subpoena, which is different than search warrants, just a document requesting production of documents. And then there was the time period they went to a magistrate judge to get the arrest warrant. But it's been publicly reported that during that whole time period, there were negotiations and communications with the Trump lawyers, the Trump team, and the DOJ. And I'm, I'm sure that happened. And so for a lawyer then to you know, sign in writing that everything has been produced you know, can be very problematic because you have a good faith obligation to investigate and make sure that the statements you're making are truthful. Uh, the lawyer may have been uh, informed and persuaded that everything had been produced and that the attorney may not have known that those documents existed. But, you know, if this was a normal case, uh, an attorney represented to a court, uh, if it came to that, that everything had been produced, the court would go behind that and want to know what good faith efforts did you make to undertake an investigation to see if there had been compliance with the, the subpoena. lawyer is supposed to do something of course we don't we never get away with saying oh judge we complied oops and never happens okay right. so because if you're called on the carpet usually happens in litigation when there's a motion to compel or a motion for sanctions for not complying you have to make a represent you have to make representations of the court about all the steps you took and sometimes that may be by providing an affidavit or a written brief or whatever. This is a little different. We're not in litigation. You know, so you had an attorney apparently responding and writing to a subpoena indicating, hey, either production's complete or we don't have this category, we don't have that category, which is good for Trump because he can say, look, counsel's the one that made re- that response. I didn't make it, and I certainly didn't make those representations under oath. Right. So there's no crime by me. All right, I want to wrap up with this, this last thought, and it was kind of the first thing you said last hour was the idea that a lot of people think this is part one of a much larger thing. There is a strong possibility that the Department of Justice wanted those documents back, tried to get them through traditional means. It didn't happen. They had the FBI go get them. They are back in the Department of Justice hands, and that could be the end. Of course, that could be the end, or they could use their discretion to decide based upon the facts as they know them and the witness interviews they've, they've conducted and all the investigation they've done that they want to charge him. Okay. That would be within their discretion or they could take those facts to a grand jury and see if a grand jury would decide to indict him. Do I think that's going to happen again? No. And I don't, the reason why, and I do believe it's because of his position, but it's also because there'll be a difficulty in proving beyond a reasonable doubt to 12 he, jurors. To 12 jurors that he violated those laws. And, and you know, again, prosecutors make these decisions, these discretionary decisions all the time. I know we're up in arms. Some, some people saying, why wouldn't he be charged? Why shouldn't he be charged? But this is not unusual. Unfortunately, we see this every day in all sorts of cases. And some people get charged and some people don't. And that's, uh, you could argue, a, a serious flaw in our system. But there is no pure, objective way to make a decision. Many other people would argue that's a strength, that the prosecutors are given that discretion to examine circumstances and see where we are. Okay. Mike Leonard, this is a great conversation. Thanks for stopping on by. great to be here. Great to uh, have some time with you, and uh, have a good rest of the weekend. Yeah, we'll do it again soon. All right. Clint Krisloff, coming up next here on WGN.